Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's seminal series of police procedural novels, which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series, and today's podcast looks at book number 29, Bread. To review the book, I'm joined by my two colleagues, Mr. Morgan, all about the Benjamins Brown. Hello there. And Mr. Stephen, brother, can you spare a dime, Royston? Hello. My name is Paul Abbott, and my bathtub is full of pennies, which I try and bathe in like some sort of grotesque Scrooge McDuck. (laughs) Very low-rent Scrooge McDuck. But on the subject of money, should you wish to help raise the standard of the currency that I currently bathe in, then a donation to the running of the podcast would be very much appreciated, especially as we've got new microphones and everything. So if you visit ko-fi.com, coffee.com, and drop us $3 for a digital coffee, we'll be eternally grateful. Anything we get goes straight back into the running and hosting of the show. If you're not going to give us any money, and you don't have to, please you know, tell a friend or leave us a comment or a review or share the podcast wherever you can. That would be great. And so... Let's get back now to 1974 and bread, and let's have a look at what's what. Hmm, 1974, book number 29. Rattling through them. We are, yes. The same speed as As we've always had. had. (laughs) I thought what I'd do, actually, because although we normally do our contextual chat in the bonus episode, I have got a little bit of contextual stuff to just try and help put this into... uh, you know, the sense of the time, the zeitgeist, mm. if you will. Time ghost. <laughs> Publication history for Bread is it came out in Random House in 1974. That was the US hardback, the original publication. Simultaneously in Hamish Hamilton hardback in the UK in 74. And then the paperbacks in Signet and Pan were um, 75 for Signet and the UK one didn't come out until 76. So a bit of a delay there. Uh-huh. Crikey. Let me tell you what else Evan Hunter stroke Ed McBain was up to in 1974. Evan Hunter released the novel Streets of Gold. It's a cracker. Yeah, that's an excellent, very, very autobiographical novel. I don't think people realise quite how autobiographical yeah. it is, but it's uh, very interesting. There was a few short stories, but we're well past Manhunt and all that stuff now and Argosy, because those have more or less all folded by the mid-70s. Oh, sad times. How do you find out about kayaking with the Duke of Edinburgh anymore? Well, exactly. <laughs> but I'm not going to make you go through the content page for some of these magazines. I mean, th- there's one called The Jesus Case, which the... was from the one of the other books we talked about. The Oh, yeah, yeah. That was uh, two books ago, wasn't it? it was. In Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine. There's a story called Jazzing in A-flat. Nice. Jazzing. Yes, by Evan Hunter, published in Playboy. It's also in the French and the German Playboys. Jazzing. A story called Hot Cars by Evan Hunter. <laughs> Hot Cars. That was in a magazine called Genesis, which I believe was a bit of a Gen- men's magazine slash Playboy knockoff. Not, no, it wasn't not, a, the, not about the band Genesis. Yeah. It's just some kind of fan magazine big, of Genesis, which also has Evan Hunter's fiction in. middle spread of Tony Banks covered in <laughs> jam or something like that. <laughs> on a hot car. Yeah, on a hot Leyland Princess or something like that. Yeah, as far as I know, Evan Hunter didn't get into writing Genesis fan fiction and sending it into them. 
But if only he had... Mike <laughs> Rutherford looks really <laughs> handsome in the uh, latest Gatefold Sleeve Genesis album. I don't know what they were releasing around. He al- well, he also did one co- a story called The Analyst, which was also in Playboy. So, as you can see, I'm not going to make you go through the contents of an, oh. an issue of Playboy to um, read out, to look for hilarious things, because I suspect it won't be hilarious. Hot cars. No. But they, there was one of the early adaptations by the Czechoslovakian TV company oh, yeah. based on Killer's Choice, which is called <laughs> Koho si Vibral Vra. That's best I can pronounce that. Sounded good to me. They're the ones that had the music that never no. ended. No, there, there, there was three... peculiar about their... There was three Czechoslovakian ones in the 70s that were done separate, and then there was the ones in the 80s and 90s, ah, which right. were the ones with the dreadful background music. music. that never, yeah. never ended. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Evan Hunter was up to at the time. But let's have a look at some general stuff um, around 1974, just to put things in context. I didn't know this, but maybe everyone else in the world did. The 1st of January 1974, in the UK, it was the first time New Year's Day was a public holiday. All right. I did not know that either. I just assumed it was always, you know, a day of rest. Everyone's straight back to work with their hangovers. Yeah. So that's... Amazing. just feels very... Contemporary, really. Wow, yeah. Uh, 4th of February, Patty Hearst is kidnapped. Oh, yes. I think we talked a bit about that when we were doing King's Ransom and looking at kidnapping stories. Oh, is that the Black Panther? It's No, it was the... Um, I forgot what the name of the, the group was. It was like a far-left group, uh, yeah, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, like oh, right. the Weather Underground or Bader-Meinhof, one of those kind of like yeah. yeah revolutionary left groups. It was, yeah. And Henry, then, of course, Henry there's Brigade. all the stuff about the... Uh, her going up to end up on their, on their side. Mm. We definitely did do research about it and talked about it on the King's Ransom episode or the bone. <laughs> so if you can go back and listen to that, because I've forgotten. Yeah. Once upon a time, we knew something. Yeah. <laughs> That's the joy of recording everything you say. You don't have to try and remember it yourself. Uh, 29th of March, 1974, the Terracotta Army is discovered in China oh. by some farmers digging a well. Crikey. Which I find absolutely extraordinary given yeah. the scale of it and what it represents. And, you know, we were very lucky to see it last year in, in Liverpool when yeah, some of it was on, on tour. But just the idea you're just digging a well one day and discover hundreds and hundreds of, like, terracotta warriors. You get a bit freaked out, wouldn't yeah, you? You certainly would, I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah, it must have been quite the thing. 1974 is the year that Dungeons & Dragons, the... Uh, Role-playing games, first released. Terrific. What do you want to tell me about 1974 in British politics, steve Know anything? Uh, there was two general elections in 1974. There was. We had a hung parliament in the early election and then the later one where we got a very uh, slim Labour majority. Indeed. So Edward Heath out, Harold Wilson in. That was what was going on in the UK. Sensible politics. <laughs> <sighs> And, of course, we were talking a lot about Nixon and what was going on with Watergate in the last episode. But he resigns in August of 74. Yeah. Gerald Ford gets sworn in. Mm-hmm. And the following month, pardons Nixon. Of course he there does. There you go. Mad. <laughs> but some books that were released in 1974, just on the subject of other authors. Peter Benchley releases Jaws. Marvellous. It's all right, the book of Jaws. Okay. But the film is a lot better. Mm. It's quite difficult to get your teeth into, isn't it? Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you do a recording on an afternoon this kind of puns start turning up uh, John le Carre does uh, releases Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy oh he does brilliant yeah. big favourite of mine yes good book good TV series good film 
generally very good. Mm-hmm. James Herbert releases Ooh. The Rats. Oh, great stuff. First um, of the, the trilogy. What are the yeah. other ones? The uh, Rats, the, 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 the lair, Squirrels. And there's, oh. Well, I, I think it's just, just furthering humanity trying to deal with these rats. Oh, right. I've yeah, never read so. any of those ones. What, oh, rats just taking over the world? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It gets more and more desperate. Oof, dark times. <laughs> yeah. what, what happens? I can't remember. I haven't read them for a, oh, something like 30 years, but um, when I was 10, they were amazing. Yeah. Why? So that's... Now, um, Erica Young releases Fear of Flying, which is a very uh, powerful feminist statement at the time, I think. But uh, Joseph Wamba puts out The Onion Field, Ooh. which I recently bought, so I've got that ready to read. Tell you what, let's get stuck into bread. And I'll give you one little interesting factoid before we get going. What, about bread? About the book bread, not about no. bread as a concept. I had some bread for lunch. Oh, I had some bread this morning as well. Mm. It's almost uh, universal. It, it is almost. I too had some bread. <laughs> well, we're all we're definitely yeah. the people to be talking about this, then, aren't we? We're experts in the field. <laughs> in the archive of Evan Hunter, the original manuscript for this book, the title of the book is Money, Money, Money. Oh, right. Which, of course, ends up being the title of like the 51st book in the series, mm. not until 2001. It's a curious name for the book, actually, isn't it? A little bit, yeah, I think so. Mm. It doesn't really involve... It feels like a bit of an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, because it sort of starts out with a lot of talk about money in terms of how much someone stands to make off them, some sales mm. and stuff and insurance and things like that. But really, then, you sort of get away from that, don't we? Mm. A little bit. Could come up with a better name ourselves, couldn't we? For yeah. it, maybe. You know what? We'll save the contemporary reviews until after we've given our opinion, and then we'll see if we j- oh, okay. if our reviews jive with the jive jive. jive. <laughs> they, they might jive. Uh, with <laughs> agree with jive. My, jive, my jive. review is going to dry jive. Uh, <laughs> I imagine I'll be jiving with Newgate Calendar uh, yeah. all the way. There's a good name for an album: <laughs> jiving with Newgate Calendar. No one have a clue what that meant. I don't think we do. Jive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Let's get stuck into Let's this. Let's get jiving. Let's get jiving with bread, man. Prontz. Prontz? Pronto. Oh, right, Prontz. <laughs> Don't know what's I'm, going on. I'm not up to date with this youth lingo. No, definitely. I'm sorry, everyone, if we're, we're leaving you behind. Jive talk, that was. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness me. Right, well, let's get stuck into the book. Oh, yeah. Let's have opening thoughts. Because we've just come off the back of Hail to the Chief. Very specific, very targeted satire about gang violence. Seems to be a little bit return to normality, yeah, if there's a, such a thing. Kind yeah. of a bit more back to business, as we'd expect, I think. A f- reasonably straight up who done it. Yeah. Well, who done something. And I think there was a suggestion from one of our, our Twitter followers, I think it was Hank Wellman, was suggesting, I think this is starting to display a lot of the signs of the darker things to come. And it's not like they've been particularly light-hearted any of the books up to this point, but we definitely know that what's coming in the 87th Precinct series from here on in hmm. starts to get pretty pretty dark. Lots it, more thrillers rather than mysteries. Yeah, it, it feels like a little bit of a foreshadowing of some of the 80s stuff, definitely. I can see that. Yeah, especially off the back of, of something so so different as Hail to the Chief. I think it's quite a complicated book. It is. It is. There's a lot of convoluted dealings going on. It takes some getting them straight in your head. I'm still not sure I actually did, but... Yeah. Well, I had to make a little... Like, write myself a little pricey to try and make sure I actually understood what the what the concept was. Excellent. You can explain it to us all as you go. <laughs> well, yeah. 
So, what's it about, Steve-O? Well, it starts with a big fire, doesn't it? Well, or he does, no, it doesn't start with a fire. It starts, starts post, after, post after the fire. fire. Post-pyro, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. With this bloke who comes into the precinct trying to hunt down Andy Parker, who's busy drinking beer in his... His pants In his home. pants, scratching <laughs> his balls uh, on holiday. Spend your holiday, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he wants, he's, tra- he's tracing up progress on the investigation into his warehouse factory. So he can he's, get the insurance. Yeah, the uh, insurers are refusing to pay out, and Andy Parker's off, but he'd not really yeah, he hadn't done moved, <laughs> moved on. He couldn't really make head and tail of what had gone on. It's interesting having Andy Parker in this book as our gross, lazy slob cop, mm. but putting him then into, you know, putting him on holiday... So he's not actually there to affect the outcome of the case. Mm. He's just a sort of... He has, like, one scene where Corella goes to see him. But he has been, for years, our our touchstone of the the bigot, the lazy, the fat cop. But we've got something coming up that's going to not mirror it exactly, but something to challenge that yeah. role in the books. Absolutely. I think there's a point where there's even... A, we get... Steve Carella himself making a direct kind of comparison between the two of them, don't we? Yeah. Uh, Parker and this new character who uh, we're He's introduced to uh, in this book, which is is an exciting development. Yeah. So we open with a lot of this guy saying, "Well, I've been ordering these little wooden animals from Germany, <laughs> West Germany, as as, as it was, was as it would have been in then." Which I, in my mind, I'm imagining. I was well. I was always imagining them to be quite small, but then by the end, you have to imagine them a bit bigger. I think. I, I, I guess so. Yeah. Um. I was. Yeah. I was thinking kind of Christmas ornaments or something. Yeah, well, which would make sense because I think Germany's a place that produces mm. a lot of ornaments like that, don't they? You can't move for them no. when you're there, can you? You're always stepping on tiny, tiny wooden reindeers, tiny balsa reindeers. Well, yeah, I had something. I was definitely small. envisaging something that you would see on about fifteen different stalls at your average Christmas market. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. But I think they're a little bit larger. But he's been importing them. He's been very entrepreneurial, uh-huh. living the American dream by bringing them in at one price, selling them at another, then bringing in another load. And it's this second load that he hasn't sold yet that is, is destroyed in this factory fire. Uh-huh. And he needs the insurance so he can pay for the shipment that's coming in. Uh-huh. And that's why he's there being a, a pain in the neck. Yeah, there's lots of talk about pyromania, isn't there? And fire freaks, or whatever he calls fire them. Bugs. Fire bugs, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but the curious thing, they rule that out because the security guards have been drugged, haven't they? Which takes this uh, into kind of a different area of investigation. The initial thing is to work out how the how security the guards were, were drugged, which has quite an amusing scene yes. as him trying to eventually get them to fess up that they drink a bit of booze whilst working the night yeah. the night shift. Um, Everyone in this book that they speak to is cagey and lies. Yeah. Their first response. Yeah. Even the people who are victims in it, mm. their first response is to lie like the like the two night watchmen who were drugged. Yeah. So that someone could set the place on fire. And so they're like, well, yeah, well we don't know how we were drugged either. It's totally uh perplexing but yeah they end up fessing up that the the figure that the booze must have been um, tampered with yeah. and the the other per- the only other person who knew about the existence of the boo- uh, the booze was the day security guard wasn't it yeah yeah it, it it suddenly takes a very dramatic turn when 
when Corella sort of goes, all right, well, it must have been the other guy who, who slipped them the the, the Mickey, or the was it coral hydrate or whatever it yeah. is, into in their drink. And he goes to find him, because he's already spoken to him once, yeah. and he comes back and finds him with holes in his face. Yes. So mm. immediately things take a turn. Yeah, the... things escalate rather quickly. Yeah, there's all sorts sort of going on here, and you don't really know. You don't know if the guy who comes in is under suspicion or not. Corella is quite rightly saying, well, until we've signed this case off, we can't say that you're definitely... <laughs> it definitely wasn't you. Mm. Who's that? Rod- the, the, Roger Grimm, the guy yeah. whose, whose warehouse it was. Uh, the CEO of Grimports. Grimports, which is a very good name. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he appears not to have anything to gain. No. From setting fire to his own factory, really. And indeed, by the end of the first chapter, his house has been burned down. Yeah, indeed. Which, um, if you're doing it to yourself, would be quite an extreme thing to do. So that has to be investigated as well. As you say, there's some very interesting talk about the mentality of arsonists and the sort of kicks they get, the psychology of of fire setting, Mm. stuff like that, which I presume would have been his research task for this book would have been to look into that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe he burnt some uh, buildings to the ground just to see what it felt like, I don't know. Absolutely. But there's <laughs> there's a great scene when Corella does have to go and visit Parker to to find out what the actual what, what he'd actually done and what he thought about it, and he sat there and he's thinking he hasn't offered me a beer. Why hasn't he offered me a beer? And he doesn't really want one, but he wants him to offer him one he's, just so he can make a quip as he leaves. Yeah, he's he's got to put down ready. Uh... Which is it's a side of Corella you've not really necessarily seen where he's he's planning ahead to take the Mickey out of Andy Parker. <laughs> Which is good. It, well, it's a Corella and Hawes investigation, isn't it? So it's a Cotton Hawes one. He's a bit more upfront in this than he's he, been in quite a few he's, ones. He's been sort of backgrounded for quite a while, hasn't he? So it's quite nice to see him back again. Yeah. And there's some reference as well to Christine Maxwell Absolutely, as yeah. being his girlfriend, who we haven't heard about yeah. for a while. Yeah, it's still his girlfriend. We do actually see the, the rare sight of Cotton Hawes managing to resist someone's advances. Yes, indeed. <laughs> his, uh, oh, yeah. the uh, <laughs> His sexy status being you know, put to one side to some extent. But yeah, there's a Randy Landlady. Randy. Randy Landlady. And uh, yeah, but it's it's this, while he's investigating where the, the guy was, the, the, the daytime security guard who's been killed, is that he discovers an address in Diamondback, which is essentially the, the black ghetto of, of Isola. And he's up there investigating something when he basically comes across a gang of people. So there's another gang in this. Mm. He goes to speak to someone who, a girl he meets called Elizabeth Benjamin, who doesn't want to talk to him, but when she does, she goes and turns a tap on. So he's like, what? why have you turned the tap on? What's the waterfall for? And so you've got another, it's like, oh, well, must be bugged. And suddenly you're in a whole other world with this stuff. Mm. And we end up with someone else dead in the lobby of a business in Diamondback. Which, which seems to leave a lot of the other people in the building bizarrely unfazed, I, I, I thought. They're... they're... Yeah, it's it's not really a particularly big deal. This this guy and winding up dead in the lobby. I've been clubbed to death in the lobby of a of a multi-use office area. <sighs> but it does mean that they have to bring in a different precinct for the investigation of that death. Uh, the eighty yes. third, the eight three, and we meet Detective Ollie Weeks. <laughs> so, what do we think of Ollie on his debut? Well, he's certainly a uh, 
a colourful character, isn't he? He arrives pretty much fully formed as well. It's not like he's just sort of tentatively introducing him. He kind of he's got yeah. all his de- defining characteristics right there, hasn't he? He's, he's called Big Ollie Weeks once in this, and then yeah. we settle into Fat Ollie, and it never really changes after that. I think the suggestion is he likes being called Big Ollie, <laughs> but everyone just calls him Fat yeah. Ollie. Yeah, yeah. You clearly get the impression that he intended to make him a full character from day one, yeah. really, because most of the other detectives who get introduced are just kind of here and gone again. Yeah, whereas you get the feeling that he's here to stay, and, and indeed he is. Definitely, and he's big, as his name suggests. He's pretty gross. He's violent. He's openly racist, but he's a good cop. And yeah. that, that's the difference between him and Parker, is he is actually a cop who cares about doing his job, <laughs> um, even if it does mean that he will... I don't think he takes shortcuts, he just forces issues somewhere. Yeah, he's actually, in, in many respects, extremely meticulous, isn't he? But, yeah. uh, well, that's how he'd like totally contrast to Andy Parker, I suppose, but, isn't he? Uh, at the same time, operates with fairly extreme prejudice, which... <laughs> but, yeah. he, but he always thinks his prejudice is totally justified. Yeah, uh, he's, he's completely confused every time anyone points out that he's a massive bigot, isn't he? He yeah. doesn't doesn't really get it at all. Quite often, his totally initial thoughts on people turn out to be correct in that they're not uh, up to good. Because there's a there's a, a strange development company in this, and he just thinks it's a bullshit operation without any evidence whatsoever, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it turns out he's correct, but he's got absolutely no evidence upon which to base that. But we're going to see a lot more of, of Fat Ollie as the series goes on between now and, and, and the final book. We don't see him for the next story, but then he's in a run of three, or at least makes brief appearances. Then there's a bit, a bit of a gap for a few years where he pops up occasionally, but in the last run of books. He's one of the main He's ones one of the main characters, yeah, yeah. To remember, yeah. Including his own featured story, yeah. you know, by the time of Fat Ollie's book, which is one of the really interesting late entries in it the really in the is. entire series. Yeah. I don't know that you like him as a person, but his presence in the book is yeah. in the books is something it, really to enjoy. Yeah, I think that's exactly how you sum it up. I, yeah. I, th- I think he he's on the whole Bain handles him really skillfully as well. So it's, you, you do recognise immediately that he's basically really vile, but he does also allow enough redeeming features to come through that you, you have a little sliver of sympathy for him occasionally. Yeah, just, you, you end up, as the series go on, kind of like willing him to better himself. Yeah. Uh, and like him enrich him, himself, which he kind of does, doesn't he? He does. In some of the later books. He finds in his prejudices... Prejudice is being challenged quite a lot. Yeah. And he is capable of some sort of change. Yeah. But it is like it's goes slowly, almost sort of glacial pace. Yeah, it's it's getting sort of some understanding out of him sometimes is a bit like Blood Out of a Stone, isn't yeah. it? But it's an interesting development, definitely. Yeah, I think, think it's really well handled. And I think it's good having characters like that who aren't just sort of this sort of black and white, oh, good cop or bad cop and nothing in between because uh, that's it. Just yeah. kind of adds. And he kind of is your in-between, isn't he? In this, he's he's so concerned about getting his case right that he's ringing up Corella in the middle of the night because <laughs> yeah. he can't sleep for thinking about it. Yeah. And Corella's like, what? It doesn't matter. Wait till the morning. And then Cotton Horse is ringing up saying, Ollie's just called me. I think he's right. <laughs> he's been dragged out of bed at five in the morning to go and try and trick someone from the the third partner from this development company into revealing something by 
planning to use Corella as a like someone that, prisoner, yeah, a pretend <laughs> suspect, isn't it? Yeah, it's all, yeah. I'm not entirely sure that comes out of the police manual. No, <laughs> no, no, indeed not. Um, but no, he's a um, he's a good new addition anyway. He certainly is. Um, and fast forward into the very end of the book, Corella and uh, Hawes are f- forever like having a go at him, aren't they? And displeasing of his ways. And it, it, he's like totally oblivious to the fact that they don't really like him. And he's like, you know what? I really love working with you guys. I might get a transfer. <laughs> uh, the thing as well is, that in spite of themselves, sometimes they do find him very funny because he's got a great line in, in quips <laughs> and little sort of jokes that aren't aren't racist or whatever. But they determinedly try not to show that they're laughing at him. Yeah. I like the one where they, where he's busted the lock or something and they, they're saying something like, who's who's going to fix the lock or something? And he says, oh, don't worry about that, where you're going, there's plenty of locks. Which <laughs> <laughs> I thought was quite a funny line. He also apparently does, uh, as a fine line in W.C. Fields impressions. Have either of you two ever seen any W.C. Fields movies? I've not seen a single W.C. I, I feel Fields like film. I really ought to have... I've and seen I, bits I, and pieces here and there. I, you know, I don't. It's not like I'm completely in the dark over who W. C. Mm. Fields is, but I've never seen any extended bits of business. I, I've never seen sort of the odd clip. Really. I feel I am totally in the dark. It well, sounds too much like W. G. Grace, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't get those two mixed up. It would be. It's yeah. Well, he was. He was just a big comedy star, wasn't he? Mm. Basically, a comedy comic actor. Oh. With you know, he's very la- larger than life. Lots of particular sort of types of business. Mm. I think there's quite a famous pool room scene or something like that mm. that he's done. Ollie quite happily plays up to being a big guy and, and using that sort of shtick. Yep. Which was probably really outdated even in the 70s. I, I'd imagine so, yeah. He's kind of of the sort of Laurel and Hardy kind of generation of uh, film comedy, isn't he really, I think? He is. We see lots of lots of Ollie, and he's very helpful in tying together lots of threads, basically, which is that we've got this warehouse and house being burnt down, we've got a dead security guard, we've got a dead guy in the building of where Diamondback Developments is. Who's the guy that they think was the link between the dead security guard, because he'd been seen yeah. visiting him, haven't yes, they? That's, uh, so they don't, really, the they don't know the link, other than they know this guy visited him. And therefore, they think that this development company is involved, but yeah. they can't, for the life of them, figure out why or what was in it or <laughs> anything until they meet the uh, the lady in the in the flat in the bug department. No, uh, the landlady. No, the, no, no, the other one, Wagner. Oh, Rosalie Wagner. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, so she's a little late. Comes in a little later on. As another well, person so, well, lying they, about everything. Yeah. Well, they, well, they're pretty much in the dark until they meet her. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> but what, in the meantime, Elizabeth Benjamin in the bug department is getting beaten up mm. by some people. But because it's a bug department, they end up with it all on tape. <laughs> so she survives and she can identify certain people, which is handy. And also they're able to use her image to try and solve another link in the chain. But there's a really horrible interrogation scene where they've brought in these these gang guys and Hawes figures something out by pure chance so that the long arm of coincidence is in the book as, uh-huh. as very often it is in these. And, yeah, they're playing back... The, the way they're conducting this interview with these potential assault assaulters of this girl is to play back the tape recording uh-huh. from the, the bugs in the apartment, which is 
about as effective a way of, of <laughs> breaking someone down yeah. as, as it could be. Again, I'm not entirely sure you'd be able to do that, but I'm no, I'm no lawyer. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Certainly in terms of 1970s police procedure, maybe that kind of stuff went down all the time. I couldn't possibly say. Well, indeed. Yeah, there's a little bit of a penny-dropping moment where, where they've got someone on tape saying, hold her, let her go, or yes. something like that. And they're just, why, why would you say hold her, let her yeah, go? Yeah. Then he remembers he's met someone yeah. called Jamie Holder. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, got it. Very clever. Very, very, very clever. clever. Very clever lad. <laughs> One of the things with this book I think is interesting is a lot of chapters that are shuffling of cards, which ultimately results in something they call the poker game, where they bring all these people together to try and get yeah. them to trick yeah. each other. And that's, that's quite a good scene, that, isn't it? Is, it? At the it's, end it's, where he's got all the, all the main characters really sat around, a bit like uh, Agatha Christie, isn't it? Get, yeah, they want to get over in a room and see the guilty party... Yeah, it's inadvertently really, confess something you don't get really in these in these novels otherwise but yeah it is very much like that it's nicely staged I think because even still at that point they, they still really don't know what the deal is do they no and the reader certainly doesn't by that uh, point <laughs> they're still in the dark they, they know one or all or and have some those <laughs> are, are, yeah <laughs> are, are guilty of something but they're not quite sure who of what? But they're definitely going in like they know everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're trying to follow a trail of money, which is the bread of the title of the book, mm. really, which is insurance money. It's money from this business, Diamondback Development. It's a £5,000 uh, $5, payment to, to the, the guy who's shot. Yeah. There's the guy who's the photographer who's beaten to death. He's getting paid only a little bit of money, but he's living a very luxurious mm-hmm. life. Turns out he's... A pornographer, essentially. Although, as McBain points out, the stuff you can buy on the shelves in, you know, makes that job almost redundant, really. By that stage, yeah. And there's also payments to uh, uh, the guy in Germany who's meant to have been packing the the yeah. wooden animals, which we have to tra- train trace as well, and yeah, there's a bit of a breadcrumb from that early on, isn't there? Because yeah. in the correspondence that uh, Carella goes through of Roger Grimm's, there's this acknowledgement of a payment in Germany like, that, oh, how did that he, check he only that made fast? two days before, mm. and so like Carella's suspicious of Roger Grimm from the beginning, but. He can't get any reason why he would still burn his own. But there's something... You're always led to believe that Roger Grimm's not quite what he presents himself to be. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. But then he meets somebody who just so happens to have been to Bremen at the same time, which is uh, too much of a coincidence, I suppose. Well, I think it's interesting. There's the interrogation scene with Rosalie Wagoner, who is this girl that turns up who's associated with Diamondback Developments and as it turns out, has a passport with a stamp for Germany in. Yeah. So the everything starts to come together. But they do a very classic bit of tricking her in the interrogation, mm-hmm. where they say, how did you know to visit Bachmann, the name of the German contact? Oh, yeah. And she says, I don't know anyone called Erhard Bachmann. <laughs> it's like, got you! He yeah. didn't tell you his first name! Yeah. <laughs> Straight out of the Colombo, that, isn't it? <laughs> or, yeah, or what's its name? Great escape or something. Hmm. <laughs> it's a yeah, a very simple trick. Yeah. So she ends up essentially confessing, doesn't she? Yeah, to having uh, been the the mule for the money. Yeah. You already know she's done something very sketchy because there's a lot of back and forth about. Oh, I had cash. No, I had travellers' checks. Oh, I only had this much. Oh, actually, I had this much. 
Yeah. Um, the story changes about every two lines, doesn't it? Yep. And then by the the last chapter, it is, that's the poker the poker game scene of the interrogation, and then a follow up Q and A interrogation with one specific person who helps them to put all the bits together. Mm. But it is complicated. It's a tangled web. It's and of- well, in fact, they use the phrase, don't they, about tangled web practice to deceive, <laughs> yes. etc. In there, I had to write myself a note to figure out what was happening, and it was to do with one character having been in jail with another at a certain time, mm. having written to them after they'd been released, something going on with the drug supply in the city being very limited at the yes. time. So the it was becoming very expensive to get your fix. You've got the warehouse, you've got the little wooden things, you've got to put all these bits together. And there is a certain amount of follow the money in, yeah. in this. I think I finally figured it out, but even by the end, when you think, well, everyone must have been in it together, they weren't. No. And, and you can't quite reckon it out. And then there's a gang who are killing people that probably aren't to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a almost red herring, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, it's certainly one of the more complex really ones is. we've ever had, I reckon, if not yeah. the most complex one so far. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you get a bit more of that complexity as you get into the, the sort of 1980s ones where the, the lengths of the, the novels increase a bit and sometimes the, the they get a bit more intricate. But uh, yeah, it, it seems quite noticeable at this stage in the series that it's a, a real ramping up of that complexity. Definitely, definitely. I think it's slightly longer than the others as well. I seem to know that when I got it off my shelf, it seemed a bit fatter, but perhaps... Uh... Perhaps no, I think you're right. Gen- general impression, maybe. Yeah, could be. If it seems like we've been rambling and talking <laughs> nonsense and making this sound like an incoherent story, it's not. But it's one that you do have to read, and it's very hard to relate in, ter- <laughs> in terms of of a linear thing because it's not just one thing that's been investigated; it's many things that are being investigated. And so, I'm just going to look for some comments I've got from I've mentioned before our our friend uh, Hank Wellman, who was always kind enough to send some comments along when we're talking about stuff. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Hank's thought was, he wondered if McBain wrote Bread before he wrote, wrote Hail to the Chief, because he seems to be a more heavily researched book, really, but he also says that the drug smuggling scheme it's central in Bread, which is ultimately what this is about. I think if we haven't, know, haven't actually mentioned that, I think it's pretty obvious yeah. what these little wooden animals are actually mm. going to be containing. It's, uh, it's similar to the scheme in a Matthew Hope novel, of which I've still not read any of the Matthew Hope stuff, called There Was a Little Girl. Mm. It yeah. says they're both good reads anyway. Cool. I've it, got, I think, one Matthew Hope on my shelf to, to read, but I just never never really dipped me toe into those. No, I thought there was a bit that made it come written after Hail to the Chief, because when he's talking to the gang about the president, and he said, there's a bit of a throwaway line about, well, if it was up to me, I'd lo- lock him up and throw away the key or something like that, which I thought, oh, it's probably a bit of a dig at Nixon. Yeah, I think Nixon's still in the air in any way <laughs> in this. Um, well, part of what's, I suppose you could say, is one of the issues with this book is that it is a story to do with race, mm. in that Diamondback is a slum essentially as you know the the real world equivalents are reflected here so a lot of the crime ends up in the hands of the black characters but then that's part of the point of the book is is mm. him saying that the conditions that the government that the local government have left certain parts of the city to rot 
are creating the situations where in order to get money to survive, people are doing these elaborate things. They're, they're sort of doing essentially fraud on, on as a business. Mm. And at the end, there's a very much that this ends with one of the accused basically saying, so, you know, you taught me how to do it, saying to the white characters, yeah. you know, it's, it's capitalism. It's, it's tricksy in balancing that sort of mm. racial prejudice aspect in, in these stories, but, you know. Yeah. I, I I think when I realised what direction it was going, I thought it was possibly going to end up feeling more problematic than it perhaps does. But I I, I know what you mean. It's a it's a fine balance. Yeah. But I think, as you say, that there is at least enough kind of of a, an ex- explanation of the societal background to kind of it's it's not just racial profiling of um, as entertainment. Yes, indeed. Thankfully. <laughs> okay. Right. So let's sum up and do our scores, and then we'll compare it to what's been going on in the uh, at the time how it was it was received. In terms of where it sits, is that a new graphical? I've got a new version of, oh. of Kenneth. To ch- well, I've got the old version as well. This is this is exclusive to us. My I don't publish this. This is just goodness. so we can keep track of things. New printout, Ad- admin level uh, Kenneth data. Yeah. Well, he's got a new plugin. Oh. So, Steve, do you want to give us your summing up and, and scoring? For this? Well, I only score when I can see the scores. Oh, dear me. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't get any... Uh, and then I get to see the new graph. Oh, it looks good. <laughs> yeah, no, I very much enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was a, a first-rate entry Ooh. with a nice complicated plot and some uh, nice new characters to enjoy. I would therefore award it... I don't know, what what, is, what did we think? 88. 88? Police, police shields. I'm going quite high on this That's one. A, it's a, a number. high satisfaction rating. High satisfaction quotient. <laughs> okay, I'll go next then. The end is complicated and it, did, it has taken me several readings and writing down a list to try and figure it out. If I'd have had the time, I would have tried to do it as a full flowchart to try and work out <laughs> who was where, when, and re- related to who in what circumstance. But I have read this lots of times, this book. In fact, my copy is falling apart with loose pages. I think this was one I got very, very early on. So it's it's been with me for some time, this story, and I have enjoyed it quite a lot. I don't know that it's my absolute favourite, but I think it's pretty good. And so I'm going to say that it is 80 police shields for me. 80. And I will pass over to Morgan for his assessment. Splendid. Yeah, well, I, I, it was a first... First time reading for me, but yeah, I, I did really enjoy it. I like the the complexity of it. I, I you know, I, I enjoy the the more simple novels as well, where you've just got a couple of little strands and a nice quick read. But it's it's fun to have something that you have to really kind of puzzle out and yeah, I, I like that. I also love the um, introduction of Ollie Weeks. I think that that's great. That well, um, that makes it a standout book. Alone, I, I, it does. Yeah, I think so. I I think it could have it could have. Um, edged a bit on the sort of dour side compared to some of the others in the in the um, series without Ollie because you yeah, don't have quite so much of the comic relief that you, that you get in some no. of the other novels. It's like, The characters we meet are all kind of pretty much, apart from the security guards, I guess, the drunken security guards who are quite fun. Mm. Everyone else is pretty much like some kind of criminal is hiding something. Yeah, well, there's certainly none of them. There's no... Well, I suppose the, maybe the landlady's about oh, the yeah. most wacky interviewee yeah. they have, but, but uh, she's may, the only one, I mainly really. find her kind of tragic rather yeah. than, than, yeah. than a figure of form. But I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I 
don't want to score too highly just because I, I I feel like there's still there's still greater heights than this. But I'll, I'll go for what I think is a perfectly respectable score of seventy eight police shields. Right. Okay. Let's see if Kenneth can do his thing and return a no rounding required Ooh. score of eighty two police shields. Thank, thank God right. for that. So I think that puts it in the upper you know, echelons. The upper echelons of the, the top quartile. That. So yeah, eighty-two police shields, very respectable. I will say, just what well, you just reminded me about comic relief in the book. Yeah, you're right. There's not lots of it, but there are a few little moments, there's like a few bits. when Corella's talking to the guy from Records who tells me the joke about the taxidermist. Oh yeah, which is great. This lady comes into the taxidermist with two dead monkeys, and she says she wants some stuffed. So the dax- taxidermist says. Yes, I'll stuff the monkeys. You want them mounted too? And the lady thinks for a minute and says, no, they were just friends. Just have them shaking hands. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Which is a very good joke. <laughs> I like that very much, that one. Okay, well, normally we'd do a quick wrapping up and close now, but I've deliberately held back these reviews Ooh. from the time. Oof. So I've picked out oh, some no. sentences from it and I'll, I'm, we may get our, the world's number one Newgate calendar impersonator oh, to no. read out his response. <laughs> Crime Russian, Maurice Richardson, The Observer, November 24th, 1974. He says, blah, 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 up to sad standard. Now, I don't know what that means. What is sad standard? As in, does he think the standard's not good? Because generally, Maurice Richardson's been all right Mm. about them. I I don't know what that means. It sounds a bit like he's gone off them Mm. to me. But Edmund Crispin, writing in the Sunday Times Criminal Records thing in January 26th, 1975, Excitement well sustained in a moralistic, we are all responsible, colour prejudice tale. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm. Both of those reviews also mention Fat Ollie as a standout. Splendid. Washington Post, Gene M. White, in November of 1974, says, McBain not only solves an exciting case, but, as always, captures a feeling for the problems of everyday law enforcement on the streets. Yeah. Yeah. And she also mentions Ollie. Then we have Criminals at Large. Written by Newgate Calendar, January the 19th, 1975. And it's that larger paragraph there, Morgan, if you want to do your best. paragraph there, I see. (laughs) Here comes the Newgate Calendar. I feel like I just need to read it here. Here it it comes in, sits down. Here we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it now. Bread is the kind of book one reads without thought. Just as it has been written, one feels almost without thought. There's little characterization of any depth. There's little grace to the writing. The action moves, and that is about all one can say for the book. <laughs> Says Newgate Calendar. Yeah. In well, that I mean, exact tone of voice. There's no pleasing him, is there? No. I did sort of glance over some of the other books he was reviewing in his, his, his column that week, and it's he likes to just stick the boot in quite is, a lot. Is there anything he likes? I don't think so. <laughs> Fair enough. You're going around in life called Newgate Calendar. I You've suppose. Got a chip on your shoulder anyway. Yes, sizable chip. Well, yeah, I mean, we are being silly about uh, about that because he has just resolutely hated the 87th yeah. Precinct but continued to review them <laughs> yeah. over the years. Wasn't the one he kind of liked that we were totally flabbergasted by? Well, I think by. He, Hail to the Chief, he was a bit sort of, oh, this is all right. He was relatively indifferent about it, wasn't he? Yeah. At least, yeah. You know, we are, we are taking the mickey out of him, but it's proof that these aren't universally loved, mm. but they are, by and large, pretty well-received more or less, although this sad standard comment... That seems odd, doesn't it? Yeah. 
But Newgate Calendar didn't mention Fat Ollie in his review, so... So there. I, I tend to wonder if he's actually even bothered to read them. I suspect someone just dropped a bunch of books on his desk and he took a look at the cover and then wrote something snotty about it. And Yeah. Oh! <laughs> it's frightening me. <laughs> Excuse me. Right, oh, well, we'll wrap up there. Do join us for our bonus episode when we've got our book covers to go through and a little bit more about the year 1974 and the fantasy casting of Detective Maya Maya. And so, until then, I'm going to say goodbye, 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 and fairly well. Bye.